Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Feather. Feather helps nonprofits of all shapes and sizes build powerful campaigns that help you reach new fans and find new donors wherever and whenever they're online. We love them because their tech makes creating and optimizing your paid ad strategy super simple. And oh yeah, they just happen to be amazing humans too. Sound like Feather might be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at feather.co. That's feather without the last E dot co. Or follow the link in our show notes. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Becky, we're back. Not only are we back, we're back with like one of our favorite people of all time. I mean, she's got to hold the record for the most repeat guest because every time we have these kind of <laughs> totally. conversations, we're like, what would Kashana think about this? And this is what's happening. You know, you're catching us on week three of our Enneagram series. And this is an, a series that we have been so passionate about getting to this community because we feel like there's so much absence of just knowing ourselves and how that relates to how we relate to our funders and to our teams and to even our families and all the ways we show up in the world. And we wanted to lift that conversation. And so we spent the last two weeks really unpacking that, but wow, now we're ready to get super practical, super applicable to our lives in these organizations that we love, that we want to serve. And so we want the soothsayer that always speaks truth to us, that always comes in and will drop the mic. We're talking to Kishana Palmer today. And let me give you a little bit of background. If this is your first time to hang with Kishana, she is a national speaker, international speaker. Let me correct myself. She's a trainer, a coach. She's got more than a 17-year background in fundraising, marketing, talent management. She has formed the Rooted Collaborative, this beautiful retreat and online community for women of color and fundraising. She's an author. She's been on the TEDx stage. I mean, my friend has done just about everything in this space. And so we have her on speed dial for these kind of conversations. She's an NYC girl and mother to a wonderful teenage daughter. She's just one of our favorite people. Hi, and Queen Adjana, get into this house. Hello. Yeah. How are you? Hello, my I'm friend. Here the party. We are talking to a fellow two. Kishana is a the helper, just like Julie and I. And I bet there's a ton of you out there. Hopefully you've taken the test. Um, yeah. We have a free link to it on our show notes page from both of the past episodes. But it's like, I just like want to get into this. How did you get into the Enneagram? And talk to us about why this is a powerful tool to kind of help us see not only the blinders of people in our life, but ourselves mostly. I mean, so for me, I got into it because of church. And I think that um, when I think about like the sort of the his the history of um, the Enneagram, it gained a lot of popularity in like large non-denominational churches and faith-based organizations um, that used to have like small groups that folks would meet weekly or on some cadence and they'd get together and talk about all manner of books and things and community. Um, and so um, I lived in Charlotte many years ago in the the church I belonged to was a plant, a church plant. And that was what we were starting to do in our, in our small group. So I took that test a long time ago and put it down. And actually, Becky, I think like you, like my numbers actually switched. And so yeah. I did that test when I was like, I don't know, my late twenties, early thirties. And that I was a three 
uh, with the wing too. And when I retook it a couple of years ago, I was really shocked that I had switched to wing three. And I think because I know that I am coming into who I am in the world for real, for real, like I am releasing the pretenses of, um, performance and of people pleasing and of, you know, wanting to be liked, uh, and all the stuff that comes with that. I wonder if that in of itself is actually revealing like who I am, um, at my core. So because I love behavioral assessments, I think that it's, there are such good tools to be able to help us make sense of places and spaces in ourselves that don't always make sense. And I think the Enneagram does a really good job of helping to give sort of layman's voice to things that may not otherwise make sense. So, you know, y'all know I'm a Clifton Strengths coach, so I love Strength Finder. And so because I coach, I had to learn the business of each <laughs> of the different behavioral tools. So I can talk your ear off about Enneagram, which we're doing today, and DISC, and Myers-Briggs, and 16 personalities and strength finding because you just have to know how what modality people operate in as a coach and hilariously that speaks very much to my enneagram number because i'm really out here just trying to make sure folks are comfortable you know chase said harmony (laughs) i mean i love the way you described it because we talked about it in either episode one or two of the series where we just said sometimes it's just as effective to like get in and read about the types and whenever you feel like Ooh, I feel really seen or I feel really heard or I feel really ooh, like deeply yeah. seen like that could be your type. And I love that your kind of description like mirrors that. And I think like that's the kind of like relationships and kind of understanding what triggers could be for somebody or what could be really their motivation or intention. I think that's what the depth of this personality assessment, I don't even know if that's the right term for it, brings to the table. So I just think about, you know, today's conversation, we want to camp out with what does it mean internally? Like, what does it mean in our teams? We're serving nonprofits, missions, causes, you know, around the world. You're often working in a group, in a team setting. You're going to have a lot of tough conversations. You're going to have a lot of high highs, low lows. What does this unlock if you can really lean into using the Enneagram to, to form a better team and just kind of lay the groundwork for that? Absolutely. So I think the first thing that I would say that leaders who are going to take on this work need to do is to really make sure you're doing a head heart check. And so one of the things that the Enneagram does that I love is that it looks at the perspective of who you are and sort of like where you step forward primarily. And it talks about whether you're in your body, whether you're in your heart or whether you're in your head. And so for those of us who are nerd alerts, you know, or like, we're typically in our head. I am a nerd alert, big time, but I am typically- Me too, that's why I'm giggling. Right, but, I'm like, but I, I lead with my heart. At the end of the day, like the places where I like, you know, want to just like bop myself right in the head is when I didn't actually lead out with my heart, when I led out with something else. And so as a leader, when I'm setting vision, when you're thinking about setting vision in your own organizations, if you have one of the types where you lead with your heart, so if you're a two, you're a three or four in that regard, then you have to know that you need a counter person who is a compliment to you, who's going to give you that balance of that head and who's going to give you that balance of that body. You need somebody who's going to be able to, that you can have that push and that pull before you introduce it to your team. And the reason I said before, first, you got to know where you are and who you are in your spirit, in your body, et cetera. You got to know that, right? You got to tap in. So if you know that you are burnt out, that you are literally operating on fumes, this ain't the time 
to have an all staff retreat where you don't bring in a facilitator. Let me be clear. Mm. This ain't the time to have what I call an all day meeting with food, which is what a lot of organizational leaders do. <laughs> have retreats. No, you just held us hostage in here with a meeting and then you gave us this dry bread and called it heroes. I'm a New Yorker. So, you know, I call it heroes. I'm a New Yorker. <laughs> So you've got to be able to make sure you check in. So I would say if you're going to introduce this into your organization internally, first, you need to make sure that you're operating from a place of rest. And it doesn't mean that you need to take a sabbatical. You got to have a vacation. But I like to ask my CEOs and my executive leaders, make sure you have one day a month. That's just for a pause for you. I'm not going to even push you how I push my clients to get to a, a weekly pause, just a monthly pause. Then have an opportunity for your team members to do the same, then introduce this working dynamic into your organization. The Enneagram, any tool, does not work if you do not align it to goals and outcomes. So if you're not leveraging it in your weekly and monthly staff meetings as a part of conversations, if you're not leveraging that in your check-ins, if you're not using that as a part of your performance evaluations throughout the year, you're not really folding in the, 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 to me, the sort of foundational purpose of what this tool does, which is to help people find language to describe things about the way they work and the way they communicate, particularly when they're stressed, that they wouldn't otherwise have. And so a leader who really wants to use this tool, which is quite nuanced and quite powerful, first, you got to get help. Do not do this alone. You know, it's like, this is not a DIY situation. Okay, this is not a, I was up late with my 19 tabs open and I stumbled upon this ad and I came to work the next day feeling spirited. And I said to my team, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take this test. No, your team is running for the hills. Sit down. Yes. So that's, to me, that's like my layered, like 1A, 1B, 1C. So making sure that you're checking in with yourself, 1A. Where are you showing up in this work if you're taking the test? Are you of the body? Are you of the heart? Or are you of the head? Who is your counter that's going to make sure that there's some balance as you step into this work with your team members across your organization? I don't care if they're five of you or 55 or, or 555. And then are you able to give yourself space enough so that when you introduce this as a working tool into your organization, it actually can fold into the practices and the norms within your organization? So to me, that's how I'd roll that all in. Wow. wow. So many thoughts <laughs> that I want to reflect back to you because one, I'm having an epiphany here that in 20 years, I literally cannot think of a time that a leader has ever told me we need to pause. Have you ever felt that listener in nonprofit where a leader has said, we need to pause? No. So talk to us, Kish, about how to start leveraging this as a tool internally. I mean, for someone who's listening, new to the Enneagram, you know, whether they're a leader or whether you're one of the worker bees on the front line, I think many of us have found ourselves, you know, in one or both of those places. Where can teams start today if they're really curious about integrating this as a cultural norm into their organizations? What kind of counsel would you have for them? I would say that it is not a drive-through process. Like we're not going to McDonald's to pick up Happy Meal number four or number seven and keep it moving. Like this is a sit down nine core situation. And so being able to uh, understand that it takes time for folks to lean into this is important because the first thing you need to do with the Enneagram and with anything really is believe. 
Because if you actually don't believe in this type of stuff, then it doesn't work to actually activate it in your organization. Uh, When I see organizations who've really taken this on um, or taken on any kind of the assessments that I work with, it's when they start talking about folks in their actual number. Oh, you know, well, Becky, she's the two. So this is, that's, that's just the two behavior. We just got to work with her because X. Like when folks start describing you by your thing, that means that they've been able to give some distance to you and how you behave, which to me is a very healthy thing. So you can like say, I don't like the way somebody did something, but I like them as a person. Like there's a really good separation, I think, that happens there. So I think that organizations who want to be able to start using this in their teaming should really invite their team into that conversation. So I think the first step is always to be able to take the task, to be able to see how you understood it. I always recommend a facilitator because I'm like, please have somebody who understands this to help you interpret it for your, your organization. I think having a really good pulse on your culture, and there's a couple types of culture viewpoints that you could look at. The first type is like, um, I call it your hype culture. And so that's like how you promote what it's like to work here. That's your talent brand. So when people think about culture, they also oftentimes think about like, what's the actual working practice or norm that happens in the organization? I'm like, nah, actually it's your reputation out in the world. And so when you're thinking about that, like how do you want this particular tool to help activate a healthier culture in your organization? Hey friends, taking a pause from this feel-good conversation to share a quick story. Hope in a Future is a nonprofit that serves children in the Arizona foster care system. Last year, they wanted to grow donations during Giving Tuesday. The only problem? Giving Tuesday was only one day away. Determined to seize the opportunity, they reached out to our friends at Feather. With help from Feather Services, Hope in a Future managed to launch a complete advertising campaign just in time. As a direct result, they raised more than $500 on Giving Tuesday, but that was just the beginning. Hope in a Future decided to follow up with an additional retargeting campaigns designed to increase donations and re-engage previous donors. They raised over $32,000 with just a $4,000 ad spend. Nonprofits of all shapes and sizes are turning to Feather to grow their campaigns with targeted digital ad tools that reach people whenever and wherever they're online. Use Feather to grow your year-end fundraisers. Learn more about their solutions for nonprofits at feather.co. That's feather without the last e, dot co. I mean, I think this is really good because I think everything kind of starts at that level too. You know, it's like, if you're not going to come at it from that positioning, it's just not going to have the same weight and people are going to be jug along. I want to ask you a question though, because something you said, I just want to go deeper on, because I mean, on some level, we, we're all bringing our own bias perspective to everything, you know, at all times. And so we're all trying to process through that. What does it do for a culture? If we say, oh, you got to watch out because she's a two, I can't do this he's a nine, I got to avoid him this way. It feels like it could create even more problems potentially by being put in a box. I mean, as a nine, you know, I don't love conflict, but I know that I need to have it. And so like, I don't want to be typed that I'm just going to avoid, you know, conflict. So how do you, how do you kind of marry those to where you're like, I see you and I understand you, but I don't want to label you as if you're only this one dimension of a type of person. I think that's the part where um, this work actually comes down to the manager. So it's so funny because um, I was, I'm always uh, talking to folks about the fact that like, it's frustrating as a day-to-day people manager when 70% of your team success engagement has to do with your behavior. And you're like, I did all this work. I put out this job description. I stayed up all night writing it. 
Then I did this long process. I was on Indeed and I was on this site and I was on that site. Then I had to interview people. Then I had to get you in here. And you telling me that after all of that, your success is still on me? <laughs> what? So this becomes the thing, right? The, as a, a good day-to-day manager, people manager, you have to see your people. We want to do the block and tackle. How to blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, you know what you need to do? How to human. Yes. And so as a manager, <laughs> being able to be focused in as opposed to focused out on other things. So focused in on your team in this in this particular instance, being able to be paying attention, which is why I believe so deeply in check-ins, um, being able to have your finger on the pulse of what actually is happening, what the motivations are of your team, what's happening in their lives, which is why I believe that you should have a personal relationship with your team members, not necessarily a private one, but a personal one, um, because I don't have to know why your grandmother got to go to the doctor, but I do need to know that you are the primary caregiver for your grandmother because it brings a whole different dynamic to how your work happens if something happens at home with her episodically, right? And so in order to be able to not be labeled, to me, a plugged-in manager is going to have a good, keen understanding and a learning of how their team member shows up when they're healthy and how their team member could show up when they're in crisis and a really good understanding of what is episodic to that particular team member and what is emblematic of either an internal challenge they're happen- having or something that's happening in the organization that is pushing on that team member to be able to make decisions. So in your exact example, John, you talked about, you know, being a nine, I, I avoid conflict. So I'm not putting you in situations where you are going to always have to be the one to address a conflict. And yet, if there is something that is a conflict, we're going to have a conversation offline about like, okay, well, how do you want to navigate this what is the result you're looking for? What's the outcome that would feel successful to you? Okay, what are some ways that we can get to that? Which is why managers today are more coaches than they are managers, which is why they need to come to me to get coached properly so they can be better She's managers. Hello. She's the best. <laughs> she wins. So you can actually coach your people because this is a lot, right? I want to take a nap. Just talking about it like, wow, that is a lot of work. And then I still got to do my job. So I think, John, like it's really about getting to know and really knowing your people. And it's le- it's more of an internal dialogue mm-hmm. that you're having of like, this is how I want to coach through this situation. This is how I show yes. up. This is the expectation here. Yeah, exactly. That's right. powerful. Exactly right. I think that's super important. And I think that a lot of times we don't afford ourselves the space to be able to do so because we don't demand it in our work. And so mm-hmm. one of the biggest breakthroughs that I've been able to have, um, leveraging my 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 strength to me as uh two which is in really being a helper supporter i'm relationship oriented um becky this make you laugh i think i've just relaxed into the idea that i actually think i'm a relationship coach at the like at the foundation of who i am i care about work relationships i care about personal relationships and i care about relationships with yourself can i tell you i thought you've been that for the two years i've known you that is hilarious. <laughs> I'm days old. I think it was Monday and I was like, oh, I feel like I was right. I was starting to rewrite my bio. Um, because I was like, okay, my bio needs a refresh. I was like, I've been in the game 20 something years. I gotta figure this out. Like, who am I now? What do I say? What's my story? And I was like, yo, I really think I am really like at the end of the day, I'm a relationship coach. Like, that is what I I'm that's what I teach people how to do, do this better in all aspects. And so that that is my Enneagram. That's the power of where I am in that. And yeah. so the challenge is because I am like that and because I put myself out there like that, the challenge that I have as a manager is when people don't do it to me, I am upset. Yeah. <laughs> because I give my whole heart 
to making sure other people are successful. And I'm always bewildered when people do not do that for me. And I have to constantly have that check of folks are not oriented in the way you're oriented. And so I think as a day-to-day manager, one of the powers of leveraging the Enneagram is you have to constantly stay on your toes in terms of the perspective of how people show up in the world and how you show up in the world and how that interaction moves the ball, stops the ball in your work and in the relationships you're building with your teams in order to be able to activate your missions. So smart. And I I, I want to thank you for saying all of that because one of the reasons we had Ashley Engel, who did our first two episodes on this breakdown, what you what the types look like at their best and what the types look look like at their worst. And this is a very vulnerable place to be in for all of us, especially in the worst part, because these are things that we think we hide really, really well. And and the Enneagram just pulls that out to the front row and then puts <laughs> it on stage for everybody to look at. But I do think it's so helpful and maybe never before as helpful in a time such as this, because when we're virtual, you know, as many of us have moved to, or when we're not together, or when you're talking to your team and you say, how are you doing? And they say, fine. You can look at those underlying behaviors and know that your team member is not fine. And it also <laughs> helps you just, I feel like, see the blinders that you can't see. You know, if you got a somebody on your team who's a, you know, type five, the investigator, we know that if they're going to be on Zoom all day, it they're going to be entirely exhausted by that. Mm-hmm. And it may have nothing to do with their work. It may, may not have anything to do with their personal life. They're just exhausted working in sort of a digital detached way and being so on, on. I say on with air quotes. Mm-hmm. And it's like understanding each of these types and understanding the limitations and where your team will struggle and where they will shine. It is just like a next level tactic that I think for managers and leaders that are kind of um, feeling their way through this new way of work, it can be one of the most powerful um, tools that you have in your toolbox. And so I would love it if you could just break down for us, like any examples you've seen of different numbers and different scenarios um, internally and and give us some examples of what you've seen. So... I'm, I love that. That's such a good question because I feel like folks are like, well, what about, what about me? That's like my favorite. <laughs> okay. So, so I like the, so I, the way that I was able to like digest the Enneagram was around the sort of like head, heart, body. Right. And so then the three different um, sort of aspects of how each of the numbers show up. And so first I'll start with my body folks, folks who were like, give me body. Okay. So those are my eights, my nines and my ones. And so if you're an eight, those are my folks who are like assertive and they are strong. They are determined. They are also a little controlling. They like their desks to be just so. They like their meetings to be just so. They always seem to have the direction. We know where we're going, how we're getting there. And so when that is your dominant type, what that means is that when you come into a room, you take up space. So that's the person that comes into the room and it feels like the air sort of sucked a little bit. That's that person that comes into the room and the room hushes. And so that person has to be very conscious of the kind of energy they're immediately drawing from the room, which means they have to be conscious of the energy they are putting into themselves. I need y'all to be working out. I need y'all to have a good breakfast. I need y'all to have some sort of like motivational life, whether that's meditation or prayer or walking or whatever, whatever, whatever your ritual is, 
so that you are putting good energy in before you touch other people. Because your number, you whatever you put out, it's going to spread like a disease. We don't want it to spread like a disease. We like it to spread like fairy dust. That feels much better to me. Okay, thanks. And so that to me is how an eight will show up um, in an organization and situation as a leader. Um, as a team member, an eight shows up as a person who might be the shiner. They know um, they're the one who has the answer. They have done the research. They have dug in. They are the first to respond. They're the one who's going to follow up first. And so if you know that's how you show up, you know you are a dosage kind of human, okay? <laughs> govern yourself accordingly. That's it. Just govern Choose when you want to be, when you want to pop out and when you want to just stay back. That's that balance you need to have. You need to have somebody who can also like pull your coat a little bit and say, shh, and you don't get offended. Okay, so my nines, um, oh, my nines, so calm, so patient, so steady. Also, some people will perceive you as easygoing, therefore uncomplicated, therefore a pushover. It just gets real bad real fast, right? <laughs> it's so loving. And it just like shoves you off the edge of the counter. You're like, ah, how did we get here? You know? And so I think because the, and John, you're such an example of it. Every time I talk to you, I'm like, oh, peace. I think the challenge of that is you can get so nested into making sure other people are well in that way because you bring that kind of energy that you sort of like forget like wait a minute now what was important to me again because you're so busy trying to make sure that you're just easy with it you're like you know what you don't want to go and do that event anymore that's fine we can just write these grants and you're like this is dumb oh you want to do a golf tournament no and you're like if you feel that people will come all right if everybody wants to do that sure (laughs) meanwhile you're like that is not what I signed up for. Yeah. So when you're a nine, nines to me have to write stuff down. I'm going to need y'all to have a written agenda. So you're like, when people pull you, of course, because they will, and you feel they're like, okay, I guess. You're like, <laughs> actually, before we move on, I'd like us just to consider one thing, just one thought I'd have, just, to con- just a consideration so that you're able to stay with what's important to you. So I think leaders who have that have to be really clear. Write it down. You have to have your sticky note. You got to have your mantra up on your wall. You got to have it in your phone. You have to have somebody whispering to you every day. Get Kashana's meditative word. I don't really have that, but it sounded really good. Um, <laughs> you should. That tells you. Shit, let's breathe it into existence. Oh my gosh, please. right? That tells you what you need to do for yourself to stay on track. So that's my nine. Okay, now I'll do one more. So my ones... I think that because ones tend to be um, the ones that are like really disciplined, really principled, conscientious. And for those of y'all who are listening to these this, this description so far and go, but I have some of that. We all have some of all of it. Mm-hmm. Situationally, each of these aspects will bubble to the front, but the ones that come up when we're not even trying are what we're talking about now. And so folks who are in our ones, like you are the person that's going to be like modulating your behavior, that you have a high set of rules, standards, and values that you adhere to for yourself. You might come across as self-righteous. I just want you to know and indignant if you're being <laughs> nasty, Miss Jackson. Okay? <laughs> you are the folks that if I was doing your strength right now, I would say you have responsibility very high and discipline very high and you apply yourself diligently. But what that means is that you might be critical. And find it difficult to relax and find yourself pleasure. And you wonder, you're the person who, if you're a parent and you're a one and you see a young person taking a nap, you get very resentful and you wake them up to do a chore. Because why are you resting? You know, like you resent the people who know how to rest. And so just thinking about that as leaders, even just in those three examples, look how that is so powerful on the one hand, the ways in which you'll get stuff done, the ways in which the strategic plan will get you know, will get um, done. The ways donors might have confidence, the way your board would have confidence. Also, 
the way you might seem like you are not flexible Mm. or people might not be as excited to help you because you don't listen anyway. Mm. So how do you navigate the healthiest parts of yourself in real time with the parts that when your back is up against the wall, most stressful. So I'll give you those three and stop there. Kish, I mean, I would read a book, listen to a podcast, like what you just did there for those three, I mean, just pulls you in and you've got it spot on. I mean, that's where I think we really wanted this conversation to go today because it is about figuring out how we work together in a different way. And I think mm-hmm. this allows us to have that kind of different level of conversation. And so, I mean, we could talk about this all day, but Kish, as we kind of come to the close of this first conversation with you, sure. what's one good thing? What's an applicable place to think about as we engage with Enneagram in the context of our teams? What's one piece of advice that we could walk away with today? This is an opportunity for you to give voice to the parts of yourself that have previously felt voiceless. Mm. And to step away from yourself in the healthiest way to be an observer of how you've shown up to date in your own life. And then you get to decide. You get to decide how you want to show up for yourself. You want to show up for your team. You want to show up in your family. And this is a tool that allows you to be able to unpack some of those things and how people experience you so that you're able to go, okay, what's next? So I think like giving yourself the gift of space from yourself to be an observer in your own life is something that I think this tool allows you to do. Like the most perfect Enneagram, one good thing of all time. Thank you for this gift. I feel like you have just done an incredible level of self-care and breaking this down in the human way. And so we want everybody to stay tuned because, you know, we couldn't just have Kish back in our house for like (laughs) one episode. We got to pull her back in for a second episode. So hang with us because next Friday, we're going to be talking about Enneagram and fundraising. And so as much as we love talking about how the Enneagram helps us you know, build better teams, build better cultures. We've got to figure out how this can be flexed with the external donor dynamic. And Kish is coming back. She's going to help us better understand some of our limiting beliefs about fundraising and how we can apply this to our donor relationships. So John, thanks for being an Enneagram 9 and for balancing (laughs) out my crazy heart with your head, because it truly is a gift, I think, to wear for good, because Julie and I are both Enneagram twos. And John gives such a great balance um, in his peacemakerness. And that is the beauty of Enneagram is that the mosaic of all of us is going to bring harmony and balance to the places that we're at. So thank you well, for thank you, reiterating Part that. of my peacemaking, I'm like, okay, how can people connect with Kish? But before next episode, Kish, point us to all the ways you show up. Tell us all the other ways. I'm across all socials at Kashana Palmer. And so you can find me and listen, fun trick. If you put K-I-S-H-S into Google, I will appear. It is no so great. Way. You've taken over Google. Yep. Okay, that's so, epic. Yep. Of course you that's, have. that's first thing. So Kashana Palmer on all socials. And if you are like, I want to know how to be a better manager and how to like leverage Enneagram and how to figure out how to use, you know, Kashana, I've, I've used DISC, I've used this, I've used all the tools and I'm confused. I want you to just be a better manager so you can lead with confidence and keep your teams. And I want you to join me at Kish Camp and I'm going to be hosting four virtual camp sessions for grownups, for stressed out managers who want to lead with confidence and keep your teams. And that's going to be two sessions in August 
and two sessions in September. And so you can just go to kashanaco.com forward slash kish hyphen camp and you can check out Kish Camp and join me for a day to be a better manager. We will dig into all of this. It's going to be great. And so that is where you can catch me right now. Oh my gosh. Okay. It's all linked up in the show notes. We're running right now. Thank you. This has been so good. Thank you, my friend. Hey friends. Thanks so much for being here. Did you know we create a landing page for each podcast episode with helpful links, freebies, and even shareable graphics? Be sure to check it out at the link in this episode's description. You probably hear it in our voices, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. We'd love for you to join our good community. It's free. And you can think of it as the after party to each podcast episode. You can sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. One more thing. If you loved what you heard today, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating and review? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find our community. Thanks, friends. I'm our producer, Julie Comfer, and our theme song is Sunray by Remy Borsboom. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.